welcome to the Spring Forth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording has been made for September 13th, 2020, the 15th Sunday of Pentecost. The call to worship comes to us from Psalm 103, selected verses. God is sheer mercy and grace, not easily angered. He's rich in love. God doesn't endlessly nag, nor scold, nor hold grudges forever. God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor pay us back in full for our wrongs. As high as heaven is over the earth, so strong is God's love to those who fear And as far as the sun rises from the sunset, God has separated us from our sins. Let us pray. O God, because without you we are not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. 
few announcements. You'll see that the baptismal font is out. That is because following the service, we will have a number of baptisms. Marlon Detman has decided to suspend his chemo treatments, and he is now entered into hospice. So he is preparing himself for that last final transition. But one of his parting wishes is to see members of his family, certain members of his family, baptized. So we have arranged for six individuals to be baptized at the conclusion of this service. They will arrive, so you'll probably just pass them as they're entering in. But I figured we'd have the font out as a, as a witness that through one individual, many members will be ushered in to the household of faith. This is something that we've been wanting to do for many years. Sometimes just life gets in the way. And when you have these, these plans that you want to accomplish, you can never find the, the time to get everyone together and say, okay, we're going to make this happen. But it's happening. So we will celebrate that sacrament of holy baptism with a number of individuals who have a deep connection and for the one who has called them to the font. So when we move to our, our time of prayer, we will hold Marlon up in our prayers as well, that he knows exactly what he wants. He has no illusions about his decision, and he says he is ready. And when you sit with him, you know that he means it. He's in very good spirits, and he is a powerful witness as he has been throughout his entire ordeal. But he's an exceedingly powerful witness now as he is teaching us how best to embrace, shall we say, the final chapters of one's life. Are there other narratives? In fact, Bob, I have to call upon you because you had a, you had a touch and go week yourself and, and so we don't realize just how wonderful it is for you to be with us. So tell us what's going down as much as you care to share and I'm happy to see you this morning. Absolutely. Any other announcements or stories the greater congregation would like to share? All right. Mary, Mary shakes her head for the rest of the congregation. She says, no. <laughs> they, they don't have anything else to say. As we are moving forward, I return back to the gospel. Not that Romans wasn't taking me on a journey. I did enjoy that three-week two-week departure looking at, at Romans because I really do believe that those particular passage in that chapter 12 was saying something that we need to hear, especially at this time in our life. But we move now to the gospel, and it's a reading from Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. This is Jesus telling us how to forgive. And I have to tell you, 
I've really struggled with this passage this week because I want to try to bring something to the congregation, something to those listening, an opportunity for us to explore the role of forgiveness in our own lives. So I was searching back through the annals of my own personal history to see if I could come up with some, some narrative that would make this a little bit more palatable. And I tell you, I, I came up short. It's not that I don't have any life experience, but nothing seemed that, I mean, even a story of forgiveness gone wrong or forgiveness that didn't unfold, I could not find something that could accurately encompass where Jesus is inviting us to go. So we're going to struggle together this morning. I will struggle to try to present you a message based upon this text, and you will struggle to listen and try to meet me there. But hopefully, God will illuminate us with the Spirit as God always does. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if a member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, the one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and his children and all of his possessions. And that payment would be made. So the slave fell upon his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then this fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused, and he went and threw him into prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then the Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I have had mercy on you? And in his anger, the Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. And so my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Gospel. Let us pray. So God, you present us with opportunities for change. You invite us into your concert of love. And you give us the resources and the tools to make this happen. We understand that if we are going to walk alongside the Son of God, he's going to leave an impression upon us. He's going to invite us into the world as he knows it can be. And in that world, there is room for pardon. There is room for renewal. There is room to begin again. And it is all held together by love. 
So this morning, as we meet this text of forgiveness, as we explore this story that Jesus told, may we adapt it and find usefulness in it. May we come to understand it at a level that we haven't before. May it not just be words on a page, but perhaps maybe even the new standard by which we live. Help us to see you in the details. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. Bless, keep, and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's just start from the top here. First of all, we have uh, Peter who comes to Jesus and he asks him, if his brother sins against him, how many times should he forgive? At the time when Peter was making this request, the Jewish law, the Mosaic Leviticus law, said that if a person offends against you, you are permissible to forgive them up to three times. So Peter understands this because he understands something about the Jewish law. So what he does is he doubles it and he adds one. So he brings the number up to seven, which in Peter's understanding and in his mind is exceedingly generous because we have no idea what level of offense his brother is bringing against him. And to pardon an individual who has sinned grievously against you up to three times, it's pretty incredible. But seven times? Wow, that's... So Peter answers the question himself. Lord, if my brother sins against me, shall I forgive him seven times? And Peter's, you know, he can almost get that sense where he answers his question and he's looking around for admiring glances like seven times. Everyone's like, Peter, are you crazy? You're just going to let these people walk all over you? You can't do that. That's, that's nuts, man. Seven times, that's out of the question. But remember, Peter is addressing the question to Jesus. Jesus is nonplussed. Jesus cannot be panicked. Jesus is cool as they come. Good poker face. And Jesus looks at him and says, um, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Now, in different Gospels, this passage reads differently. Now, Jesus is not meaning literally 77 times. What Jesus is meaning is if your brother sins against you, your brother or your sister sins against you, if a member of the community sins against you, if someone brings offense against you, our task as the recipient of the offense is not to keep any record of wrong at all. You see, now, when we look at it in that context, this passage just became exceedingly difficult. So much of how we operate and function in the world is by keeping a record of compliments and criticisms. Now, you can do the ratio for yourself and find out which one you attach yourselves to more often or which one you receive more often, but that's just how we're hardwired. We're hardwired to think about the things that people say to us, and we keep a mental account of those things. We remember the deeds that have allowed us to feel good about ourselves, and we certainly remember those horrible things that have been done and said to us that cause us to say, okay, you just made the list, or you just fell off the list, however you want to work about it. You know, we often use this, this customary of who's going to be on our invitation list, who's going to be on our Christmas list, or who's out, who's out of the family circle, who has lost our esteem, 
So Peter's saying, I've got a brother who has sinned against me. We do not know what the offense is, but we do know that Peter's been offended by somebody. And Peter knows that it is his responsibility. He knows that it is the covenantal responsibility of a child of God to forgive this individual. The law says that he can forgive them up to three times. After three times, they're out. But Peter realizes that he's rolling with Jesus, and Jesus has opened his eyes to a completely new understanding of life in the world. So Peter says, i got to up that number. It can't be three. Jesus wouldn't have it be just three. I'll make it seven. Good divine number. Seven times. Seven times. This person can sin against me, and I will forgive them. That's good, isn't it, Jesus? Jesus is like, no. You still don't understand. Now, we, like Peter, are like, what do you mean? Why is that not good enough? Jesus is like, because you were still operating the way the world operates. The world keeps records of wrong. The world is really quick to say, I'm sorry, you messed up, you're out. Now, we've heard some stories in the news lately of people acting atrociously. Things done, horrible things, things that I don't even want to repeat in worship. But we say these people have done unpardonable sins. Well, let's take a look at the story that Jesus tells Peter and those who are listening. First of all, we have this master. And this master has a vast household. And apparently, this master has a slave that owes him an enormous debt. 10,000 talents is equivalent to 150,000 years of work. <laughs> right? This is, this is ridiculous. You can't even possibly attempt that. 150,000 years of work. So this is the sum that the, that the slave is, is in, beholden to, to the master. Uh, why the master let the accounts get so far out of whack is another question, but Jesus is not dealing with that. He's just dealing with the exorbitant debt that this first slave owes the master. So the master's like, I've been taking account of my records, and I see that you're in the hole. You owe me large, and I want it back. So pay up. Well, I don't have it right here with me. Now i got to go knock over the ATM or something, but I'm going to get you something. Please, have, have mercy with me. i got to go see Mary. i got to go talk to Mary and see if I can't get myself a loan. But, but, but just, just be patient. It's going to happen. Now, this slave must have been very good in terms of the, the level at which they were able to grovel because the master's impressed. The master's like, it's, it's, it's pretty good. You're pretty good there. You know what? Here, here, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling in a generous mood. I'm feeling in a generous mood, and I tell you what, as a result of your pleading with me and making a spectacle of yourself, I'm going to call it good. You don't owe me anything. Now, the slave's feeling pretty good, right? You've been forgiven an, an incredible, enormous debt, a debt that you couldn't possibly begin to pay off in 150,000 lifetimes. So you'd have to have some sense of a burden being lifted. And this is what I'm saying when I was searching the annals of my life. I have nothing, nothing like this story to compare. I have, I mean, there's maybe a couple of infractions and things like that. I mean, because we all have a past, right? We all have parents that we have annoyed and pushed to the limits. We've all done some pretty crazy things. But being in the hole at this measure, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have anything like that. But here's the thing. If you put yourself in the position of this first slave, you'd have to understand that the master forgiving you this debt 
by any means, has to feel good. So you would think that he would leave the master's presence with a sense of uplift in his heart, right? With a sense of, okay, I've just, I dodged one. I almost, I almost landed myself in the hole because I did rack up this debt, I do owe it, and he absolved me of it. But no, what happens is as he leaves, he sees somebody who owes him 100 denarii. Now, a denarii was a day's wage, so this is like 100 days. It's a pretty sizable debt, but that's one that's actually payable. That's one that's actually payable in a lifetime. So he sees this individual who owes him 100 denarii, and he's like, hey, that's right, you owe me money. Pay me what you owe me. Now, meanwhile, he's just on the heels of his own forgiveness. He's just on the heels of, of walking out of his master's presence, having been forgiven a sizable debt. But the only thing he can think about right now is what's owed to him. So he sees this other individual, and he shakes them down, and he's like, pay me what you owe me. The second slave does exactly as the first one. He's like, I, you, hold on. You know, he grabs him by the throat. He's like, hang on. If you will just exercise some patience, I will pay you something at, at a later time. And he's like, no, that's not good enough for me. Not good enough for me. So he goes and he has him thrown in the debtor's prison until he can pay the entire debt. Now, there were other individuals. There's always bystanders. This is something that we've learned now. There's always bystanders. If this scene were happening today, they'd be getting their phones out and saying, ooh, look at this. We're going to tell on you. They'd be waving their phones around saying, we're going to get this. And those other bystanders saw this unforgiving slave. And they knew about the debt that he had been forgiven. They knew about it. Because news travels fast. So they went back to the master and they said, Hey, remember that slave that you forgave? Well, get this. He went out and ran into someone who owed him 100 denarii. And you know what he did? He tightened him right up. And wouldn't let up until he got every last cent. Went through him in prison right now. What are we going to do about it? And this is where the master has to make a decision. The master's like, I have shown mercy, and now I've been played the fool. So he demands that that slave come back before him. And he's like, what's this I hear about you? I forgave you all that debt. I showed mercy. I showed extreme mercy and patience with you. Should you not have shown the same with the one who owed you money? How quickly you forgot what you had received was not yours alone. It was designed to be distributed. It was designed to be shared. And because you did not learn from my example, you too will now owe me what I expect. So that slave is also thrown in the debtor's prison until he can pay every last penny. This is where Jesus leaves us. This is where the story leaves us. So you read this story and you're like, oh, this is just uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because we, I think when we see ourselves in the context of the narrative, we see ourselves as the person who is receiving the mercy when probably closer to the point, and let's just be honest, we're the ones who are extracting justice. We're the, we're the ones who are demanding satisfaction. We're the ones who want to lean heavy upon the individual who has offended us, who has disappointed us, who has exhausted our patience, and we want satisfaction from this individual. So we have to see ourselves as the individual, not who is the recipient of great mercy, 
but the one who still has a score to settle. The one who still says, no, I am not comfortable with the situation. I am not going to let it slide. I am not going to forget about it. And that's why when Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, so long as you are still keeping count of the times when your brother offends you or anyone offends you, he goes, so long as you are still keeping account, okay, can that's one, I'm going to let that one go, okay. We're at seven now, I don't know, is there going to be an eighth time? So long as we are keeping score, we can never be set free. So I've loosely titled this sermon, Forgiveness, Do It for Selfish Reasons. And I want to explain that. Forgiveness is an internal, it's an internal workings. It's not external. It's internal. That slave, as he was pleading with the master, please forgive me, I will pay you something sometime. I mean, he could have done the best groveling, rolling around on the floor, tears streaming, snot, the whole works. He could have really worked up a scene. But if the master was not in a position to be forgiving, if the master was not in a position to say, this, this act, this drama is not, this is not winning some Academy Award. This is not working. You owe me 10,000 talents. Pay up. It's internal. It's, it lies with the person who has the power of absolution. And if the master did not want to get to that point, then that slave was, doesn't matter what and how they carry on. If we don't want to grant forgiveness, forgiveness will not be granted. So, first of all, we have to understand that it is always in our domain. It's always in our court. It is always in our heart whether or not we want to absolve someone and say, yes, I'm sorry that this thing happened, but I'm not going to let this event, this deed, come between us. Our relationship is more important than this. Forgiveness is also good for health reasons, too. It actually, studies have, have shown that it, it lowers our stress, and stress kills. Sorry, Bob, I know you're having a stress test this week. I don't want to throw your mind off whack about that, but let's hope you test well. But stress is burdensome because what it does is it attaches our mind and our attaches our resources to that which is not working, to that which is not functioning in our relationships and in our life. And our mind continues to come back to that aberrant situation, that aberrant relationship, that break in the flow of things, and we fixate upon it. And it robs us of sleep, and it robs us of patience, and it robs us of a sense of composure. When we can bring ourselves to cut the tie through forgiveness of this offense that stands between us and someone else, we say, you know what, this thing, this event, this moment in time is not going to cause any more disruption. I'm not going to rest upon this. I'm not going to make this my, my sole part of existence. Jesus is asking us, please, God keeps no record of wrongs for the many offenses that we commit against the divine. Offenses so often 
beyond just what we say, but what we do and what we do not do. The times when we are called to serve and we simply do not serve. There are a multitude of offenses, which is, I think, the reason why that first slave has such a great debt is because the offenses that we commit against God are far greater and far outweigh the offenses that we commit against one another. It does not lessen the impact of our human relationships, but it puts things into perspective. And God has the willingness to take that standpoint from the cross, look down at us, and say, I forgive you because you do not know what you were doing. Yet when we see one another, we're like, I remembered what you do and I will never forget. It's a very different way of thinking. It's a very different way of thinking. We're keeping the record of wrongs, and meanwhile, we are placing ourselves in peril. We are placing ourselves, we are limiting our own movement. We are limiting our own vitality because we simply do not want to say that this situation, this event, as egregious and as upsetting as it is, is baggage. It is baggage, it is burdensome, and it is keeping us from being able to move forward. And in order for healing to occur, have to move forward. So Jesus is, first of all, asking us, first of all, stop keeping score. I mean, that's, that's forgiveness lesson number one, stop keeping score. If we're keeping score, we already know that we've missed the message of this gospel. Place yourself in the context of one who has been the recipient of great mercy. Another problem that I was having with this, with this text is you never quite know how an audience receives the gospel, right? I have no idea where you're at, what you're dealing with at this point in time in your life. You might just be excited that it's not raining today and that's good enough for you. But maybe there's something else that you're more hungry for. Maybe you are hungry for some hands-on access to the gospel. Maybe Jesus Christ in a few moments is going to come bursting through the walls of your heart in a way that he never has. And the reason why I was suspect about presenting this particular message today is because I still believe that sometimes we do not accept how truly God does forgive us. Right? Because we can, we can say, well, yes, that's, that's, just, that's just what preachers say. That's what preachers say, that's what religious authors say, that's what they write songs about, that God forgives you and that God loves you, but does God really? See, so we have to have that standpoint. There, the starting place has to be that we accept that, indeed, there is a God in heaven who had a son, a man called Jesus Christ, who showed us the way to God through love, and that when he says we are forgiven, that's what he means. And so many people want to call that into question because they start to measure God's forgiveness against their own worthiness. They start to think about the things that they have done. They start to think about where they have been and how they've consorted and mistakes that they have made. And they go, no, God can't forgive me. I know what I've done. God can't forgive me. I know how I used to roll. God can't forgive me. I know who I hang out with. God can't forgive me because I know what I think. I know what I still hunger for. I know that I still long to do the very things that I shouldn't do. So God can't forgive me. First of all, stop thinking that God deals with us the way we deal with ourselves. That's part of the good news. The part of the good news is that God's esteem for us is so much higher than our own. 
And if we can't appreciate that, we can never get to the place where Jesus is like, I'm asking you to pay this sort of absolution forward to other individuals. But we have to understand, first of all, that we were made and we are perfected in God's own image. And if we can't accept that, we will never be able to pay that forward to our brothers and sisters in the faith. We will always be stuck. We'll be stuck in a loop. We'll be just stuck in a loop and saying, no, I'm a miserable individual. No, I'm a miserable individual. So therefore, we equate everyone else with our misery. We're miserable, so they must be miserable as well. We don't feel forgiven, so I can't forgive this individual. They need to pay every cent. They need to own up to what they have done. And Jesus is like, Peter, have I not shown you the reality of the good news? Have I not taken you from your, your loss and confusion into the reality of a gospel that is so clear that, that God has enveloped you? Your brother, there is no stored up conflict with you and your brother. It is only a matter of perception. And so much of what we get upset about is really inconsequential. Someone made a purchase that we didn't know about, and all of a sudden some parcel shows up and says, what'd you order? You didn't get permission to order that. I was getting it for you. And then you have to break it, right? Your spouse orders something that you didn't approve of, and you have, to, you have to break it. It's policy. You have to break it because they didn't run it by you first. How dare they? They come home with a new car, give you the keys, you got to scratch it. I didn't want this car. We can't afford this car. I didn't want this vacation. I didn't want these kids. It's your fault. And there's a sense in which we, we keep score. Miserable people like to keep score. And I don't want us to be miserable people. I want us to be individuals who understand that the keeping of score is actually, that is our lower self. That's our lesser self. Lesser self likes to, likes to find fault. And Jesus is calling us to be our noble self. He's calling us to be the individuals who's like, all right, okay, bad things happen. Imagine that. But I don't have to catalog them. I don't have to be the reference librarian of nasty things. I don't have to move my life thinking about uh, one miserable event to the next miserable event to the next miserable event until I finally make it to the grave. And the only thing that they can say at my service is like, the man courted a lot of miserable events. God rest him. There's no way to live. So Jesus is asking us right now that if we want life that truly is life, drop the scorecard. Drop the scorecard. Let that go. Honor, honor. The fact that you are forgiven. I, as your pastor and friend, tell you this. I don't do the forgiving. I just remind you of the one who did. So we are forgiven. We are forgiven for every egregious thing that we have ever done and are planning on doing this afternoon. God's like, I have erased that. Now, with that firmly in mind, with that firmly in mind, we can walk tall. We can step forward into new life. Now, this is, not, this is not an invitation to be a sucker. 
See, many people think that Christians are sucker because we dabble in love and forgiveness. And they go, well, you, you Christians, you're, you're easy marks because you just let everything go. Everything's permissible. No, no, no. Jesus was the strongest man on earth. He was the strongest man on earth because he could stand there before his accusers and still love them. He could stand there before his accusers. He could debate them. He could debate them. But if they were in need, he could still offer them a cup of cold water. He didn't desire their destruction. He didn't desire them to be, to be uh, dismissed. What he wanted was them to understand the fullness of God because their view of God was too narrow. It was too narrow. And he was like, I want anyone who's going to be my followers to have expansive thought and to understand that in this world, there is no deed, there is no pit, there is no egregious sin that is too great that will separate us from the love of God. Paul reinforces that in Romans. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. We are the ones who have the perception problems. We are the ones that think that there are unpardonable sins that we have created and that others have created and sinned against us. And Jesus says, it is time for new thinking. It is time for new thinking. Because the reason why our world isn't able to walk firmly on both of its legs, if you want to use that metaphor, and that we walk with a limp, and that we walk kind of crooked, is because we are still out there keeping scores, still wanting to settle accounts, still operating according to the old world of live and, and, and um, you know, dog-eat-dog struggle. So that's why Jesus, even in his own time, even in his own century, his words sounded so alien to them because these were individuals who were under occupation. If you were in first century Palestine at the time that they were living, it was not hard to be reminded of the Roman occupation because there were centurions that were walking all over and they knew that they were not a free people. So he was not speaking metaphorically about forgiving the sins of your oppressors. The oppressors were on every street corner. The oppressors were there with the heavy hand of the iron. So when he tells Peter... Forgive your brother, not seven times, but 77 times. Continue to keep forgiving because Peter, look around. There's going to be lots more sins. And I want you to stay in the light. So our invitation is to, first of all, let's just start by going back to the annals of our own history. This is, this is the homework assignment. This is the homework assignment. This is not for right now at this moment. This is for the homework assignment when you are off in that quiet space that really restores you. And you go back to the annals of your life and you do an inventory. I did an inventory of all that unresolved stuff. It's amazing when you do an inventory how many people that you're still upset with. Right? That job that, that you no longer have anymore. The job that either you left willingly or they let you go, and you still have hurt feelings about that, relationships gone by, and there's still, still some hurt feelings there. I'm not talking about recent history. I'm not talking about that, that person who cut you off yesterday on the road. Right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the old stuff, stuff that you thought was long suppressed. Roll it back a couple of decades. Roll it back three decades if you got that much time. Some of you maybe 40 decades, and you're still carrying that stuff. And you think about it, and it brings you right back to that point when you were mad, and you're just mad all over again. Maybe even the individual who offended you has long since been buried. Maybe they're already gone. Maybe they've gone on to their eternal glory. They're, it's not a problem for them anymore, but it's still a problem for us. 
And that's what Jesus is telling Peter. He's like, Peter, it's not really about your brother. It's about you, son. It's about what you want out of life. Do you want to run around keeping score? Do you want to run around uh, courting misery? Or do you want to taste the kind of freedom that I'm trying to offer you? Because if you do, throw away, the, take the scorecard and break it over the knee and just, just get rid of it. If we could operate in that understanding, oh, I think about how our communities would be. I think about how our communities would be if we truly were a forgiving people, if we truly were individuals that could train ourselves not to let things bother us. I'm working on it. I'm, I'm really trying. I'm really trying to work on it. It's not easy, and it takes a lifetime But it's not impossible. It's not impossible. We just have to have the right focal point. And for me, that's Jesus. For me, that's Jesus. He's the same one that could stare in the face of his accusers and still love them and forgive them. You don't find greater strength than that. We always think that strength is the ability to power over. But look at Jesus. He just submitted himself. He submitted himself. He's like, why are you doing that? He's like, because I want to show them what true power is. Because I'm not going to be on this cross forever. He knew that. He's like, one day I'm going to come walking out of the tomb and I'm going to blow your minds. And then you will truly know what true power is. I'm going to submit myself to the mercies of God because God's got my back. And he has opened the storehouse of heaven that we can walk in and share in that same, that same glory. So be patient with yourself, because this is a process, and it's a skill. But be patient with yourself, and go back, walk back through your own time frame. Go back through the old annals of your life and say, who is it that I still need to let go? What offenses do I need to let go? As hard as it is, as difficult as it is, because I have no idea. People have some really horrible stuff that happens to them. There's some really, there's some, woo! Some of the things that happen to folks, really insidious things that people can do to one another. But this forgiveness thing is, it's real. It's real. And until we have the ability to let go of a heavy burden, we don't know what lightness feels like. Amen.
Let us gather ourselves and frame our minds around the fellowship of prayer, knowing that as we present ourselves sort of mentally at the altar, we probably have some things we need to share with God. Now is a good time for that. Let us pray. God, we come to you. And we thank you for the reminder that first of all, you have fashioned us in your image. That's always a good starting place. So we realize that we were made beautiful. And then life throws us into a curve and we are forced to assimilate. And sometimes in that assimilation, we say and do things that, well, shall we say, do not always exhibit the best witness. We return to you with regularity because we know that we're capable of more. We are capable of love. We are capable of being compassionate. And sometimes we get lost in the shuffle of just Surviving, making ends meet, trying to get through the day. We don't have time to think about these sort of loftier principles. They get lost in the shuffle. We as human beings don't want to be taken advantage of. We don't want to be thought of as fools, easy marks. We don't want to be manipulated. And I suppose maybe these are all just coping techniques, things that we didn't learn from you, we just learned from the hard knocks of life. What we learned from you is that, first of all, you were the wellspring of life. You show no resistance. You welcome all. You engage all. You forgive. You have an incredible sense of patience. I suppose that's why we like being in your company. But you do have a lesson to teach us. Because if we, your sons and daughters of the light, if we can just put into effect just, just a few morsels of what you have taught us, we would already see a change in the immediacy of our surroundings. Our interactions wouldn't always end so abruptly. We could learn the finesse of the comma as opposed to the exclamation point. We could discover peace. Teach us the way of forgiveness. Teach us this, this art that Jesus knew so intimately that he tried to show his disciples. Help us to keep no record of wrongs. Help us to learn to let go of those burdens from the past, especially from those who have offended us who are no longer alive. Yet the hurt that we feel from them, received from them, is still so much a part of us. Teach us your ways 
of grace and mercy. And this art of reconciliation for those who have offended us who actually are still living and breathing, give us the words, give us the words that we might be able to re-engage and have meaningful dialogue. See, that's what's missing in the world. God is meaningful dialogue. Oh, there's lots of dialogue in the world, but it's very divisive. The world loves to keep a record of wrongs. But your way is very different. Your way is peaceful. We don't see your way that often. Teach us. Help us to learn it. And when we learn it, help us to share it. So we come before you today with our prayer concerns. Leading those is our friend and brother, Marlon Detman. We commend him to you. You have been with him in this journey to wellness. We watched him enter in to sickness and pass through it only to have it return again. You've brought him to a place right now where he's very comfortable with the next few chapters of his life. I ask that you continue to bring peace and tranquility to him and his family. I ask your blessing upon the baptisms that will ensue in the next hour. But for the prayers of the people who were gathered here today, I ask that you would hear their prayers, their concerns, the things that they are wrestling with. Teach them, too, the ways of forgiveness. And if they learn it before I do, help them teach me. Hear their prayers, Lord, in Jesus' name. Loving and most merciful God, thank you once again for just placing your hand upon our hearts, reminding us that you're there. Help us to feel your presence each and every day. We're not asking for perfection on this one. We're just asking that we not be alone, that we know you're there. Hear our prayers and remember us as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As I share with us the affirmation of our faith in our church covenant, you can begin to unwrap your communion kits. We covenant with the Lord and with one another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in God's holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity.
and we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Loving and most merciful God, we come to the sacrament, Christ's body and blood given for us, a reminder, a very solid reminder of the healing power of forgiveness. We ask now that you would allow us to faithfully receive this sacrament, to feel unburdened, and to be able to go forth in peace, radiating your grace and mercy near and far to both friend and stranger alike. Amen. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples, and he took bread, and having divided it, he gave it to them and says, this is my body which has been given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. They shared the cup together. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for the remission of sins. As often as we do eat of this bread and drink from this cup, we do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. We receive the cup of salvation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You have heard us. You have established us. You have forgiven us. Send us forth with grace and peace and renewal, with joy and our hearts, and a profound sense of this burden that you have lifted. Amen. Please rise for the blessing.
And now may the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you now and always. May it keep you and guide you in peace. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Springforth Podcast. Do come again. Keep listening. Share. Invite. Be safe out there. God bless.